season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Homer Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Today's special guest is going to be Alec Palmer, Pittsburgh native. Uh, Alec what worked for Watchmen, one of my favorite baseball media companies. He worked for them for three years, did absolute amazing work for them. Well, worked three different jobs over those three different over those three years. Um, ended up as director of product, ended up leaving them last July. He's continued that amazing work um, as he's moved on to the Los Angeles Kings as the current social media manager for them. He's also a professor at Baldwin Wallace University. Today we talk about marketing and baseball, the overall future of player branding. We also talk about creating a college course from scratch as he started as a professor at Baldwin Wallace University. I also talk about his advice for aspiring sports professionals and much more. So with that being said, let's dig into the interview and I hope you guys enjoy. And welcome to the newest episode of the JKR Podcast. Today we have current Los Angeles Kings social media manager and former Watch Momentum director of product, Alec Palmer, on the show. Alec, I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm super pumped to get you on the show. How are you doing today? Thanks. That's a glowing intro. I really appreciate that. But uh, no, I'm doing great uh, out here in LA. It's uh, been a big adjustment, but exciting, uh, exciting times for us. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so one thing, one question I use, I, I like to ask every single person I get on the podcast. First question I like to uh, set everything up with is for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Oh boy. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, you know, I'm someone who I'm a people person. I, I love the the idea of the connections that I make and the relationships that I build throughout work and you know professional and personal life. Um, someone who, really enjoys what I do. I really love uh, giving back to the community. I love giving back to the people who, you know, come, come next. Uh, you know, I teach, I, I work, but most importantly, you know, I, I really love just enjoying sports, enjoying my family uh, and, and just, and just making the world a better place any way I can. All right. So you say you enjoy sports. Obviously you've worked in baseball before previously. Now you're working in hockey. Um, I want to move. I want to talk about your LA Kings job here in a little bit later on in the show. I kind of want to start off talking about your job at Watch Momentum that you worked at for a couple of years. Start the podcast mm-hmm. off with that. Um, so you worked there for a couple of years. Um, so can you just take us through the process of how you got first connected with the people at Watch Momentum, how you were hired, and just how you started off with the company? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'll take you back to actually it was my fifth year at Baltimore Wallace University. Um, and that's where I was finishing up my MBA. Uh, I went to undergrad there as well. So just went five straight years, got my MBA. And um, really, I, I, I started in the creative industry, content creation, teaching myself everything uh, because I, I wanted to stay in sports. I ended up getting hurt and uh, I played college baseball and ended up getting hurt. And that's why I, I, I wanted to stay in the game in, in sports somehow. And that's how I kind of found the creative world. Like I said, taught myself everything and now, you know, here I am. So leading into that, you know, I, I just kept improving. I started that my senior year of college and then into my fifth year. 
And at that point, I had been working for the men's basketball team and the baseball team. Uh, so about two years uh, there. And I saw, I was actually in, I remember I was in my audit class and not paying attention. It was my last semester of college, you know, you know, just trying to enjoy my time, get through, get, graduate, all that stuff. And um, I was on Twitter and I saw this tweet come past and it was about, uh, it was from this company called Watch Momentum. And they were working with a bunch of, at the time, the Cleveland Indians players, now the Cleveland Guardians. And um, it was like a content marketing company. I was like, oh, this is pretty interesting. And I was applying for other jobs, but then I sent them an email, just cold email, basically explaining who I was and what I did, the work I did. And sure enough, you know, I wasn't really expecting much, but I got an email back the next day, had had a call a few days later, had my first shoot uh, that next weekend. And lo and behold, I ended up getting hired on and I was there for almost uh, three years. Yeah. So over those three years, you did have three different job titles. Yep. I was looking you up on LinkedIn, saw that. Um, so can you kind of go through those job duties that you had with each one of those jobs? Yeah. So, you know, first I started off as like a content creator, social media specialist. Um, with that being said, you know, what I really did was uh, I followed some of the players. I was really running our social channels and just trying to create as much content as possibly could. So that was anything from traveling the country with different players to capturing, you know, day in the life stuff, to making memes, to posting just random just twit, uh, tweets and, and Instagram posts and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, you're pretty much your, your standard run-of-the-mill social media strategist, coordinator, specialist, whatever you want to call that. Um, towards the end of that, I ended up being, you know, I think I might have changed to social media manager. Um, but when I went, I was an end of, through the end of 2019. And then once I went to 2020, uh, I was the director of marketing. Uh, and with that, uh, it was more about looking at our overall marketing strategy. How are we doing? It was still running a lot of our social, still running a lot of our day-to-day ops. But with the marketing, uh, you know, the change to director of marketing, I really turned into a lot and building out the actual business. We were a startup, so there was a lot to be done there. Um, and, and building out a real marketing strategy. And then as I did that for a year, um, we hired in a social media manager. We hired in some uh, another content or a producer and uh, ended up being director of product because I really started to find uh, merchandise and designing and selling and running our e-com towards the end of that 2020. Uh, saw that as a huge revenue stream. And that's where I became the director of product. Uh, and I was there. Uh, the first half of 2021 until I ended up leaving uh, this past in, in the summer of 2021. And as director of product, it was mainly figuring out different revenue streams, whether that merchandise, whether that was marketing strategy, that's partnerships, you know, anything like that uh, was really kind of my, under my umbrella, including, you know, business operations. So that's kind of where I got, uh, ended up, I ended up and ended my time at Momentum uh, last summer. Okay. Yeah. So you talked about your job as director of product. Um, obviously, as I looked at your LinkedIn, there were some quite a few pretty good accomplishments you had there as director of product. Um, it said $70,000 plus in partnerships as director of product. Um, there was yeah. another $200,000 sold in merchandise. Um, so just digging into the partnership side of things, how did you kind of go about creating new mutually beneficial partnerships with different companies? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. It was tough as a startup. Um, to kind of to do some cold calling or cold emailing per se a lot of that was networking over dms it was you know networking there but it was also you know there were some incoming requests but it was also trying to gear that pitch you know we were working with a ton of athletes and i think 
that helped a lot. And it really showed to, you know, be able to utilize their name uh, to help get them, you know, to help get some of those partners. But there's something that was a little bit humbling, if I'm being honest, you know, I, I sat there and thought, oh, this is easy, you know, right away. I thought this is going to be easy. I just have to drop some names. I got to say I'm this and, and we're good. But it wasn't that. Um, it was it was pretty difficult. And uh, maybe that was me just being naive. Um, but it was a huge learning moment of how difficult it can be. And we started with some free, you know, some free partnerships and really turned it into more of a, um, you know, we really developed some of those relationships. And like I said, we ended up getting 70,000 there. And it was great. Uh, we did a lot of great work and I was excited with where we were going. Um, but, you know, COVID also threw a whole different challenge in there. Not a lot of companies were spending money. They were trying to keep their business afloat and they weren't trying to spend it on unproven podcasts or YouTube channels. So it was difficult. There's a challenges for sure, but um, you know, it, it showed me and taught me a ton that I can bring into, you know, any future positions and especially the one I'm at right now. Yeah. <clears throat> so you talk about those partnerships and you had a uh, watch men have had a large variety of partners. Obviously that's pretty evident with the $70,000, but um, yeah. out of, out of all those partners that you guys had, who were some of the best to work with and what were some of your favorite projects that you had with those partners? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we had, a, we had a bunch of great partners. Um, probably the one we connected with the most was probably Manscaped. And I think, you know, they're, they're very well known in the podcast, YouTube uh, sect. Um, we did a lot of great stuff with them. They were really, really great. Uh, another one we worked with uh, pretty extensively was called Built Bar. Um, I like them too, but, you know, we worked with a ton of just different companies and uh, you know they all knew the space really really well they were all very put together they were all very you know kind of tied up which was great um, but you know like I said we worked with Manscaped the most they really got onto a lot of our properties and uh, it, it was really cool to see and they kind of gave us that creative kind of direction or creative guidance I guess or lack of in a good way they kind of let us do what we wanted and, and we were able to utilize some of our personalities to really enhance that so um, that was my biggest thing was every partner we worked with was has to be genuine has to be authentic it can't just be forced uh, advertising because people hate that and I really wanted to avoid that I think we did a pretty good job there yeah. So could you take us through the process of when you actually do get a partner, let's say Manscaped, and you guys yeah. go about creating content that involves both watch momentum and the company you're partnering with? Yeah, honestly, it was um, because we were a startup and we didn't have to go through a ton of red tape. It was relatively easy once we got a partner on board. Um, it was more usually just getting them to approve the idea. Um, and it, it was great. You know, we basically how it would go would be, you know, whether it's an incoming, outgoing request, they reached out, we reached out, whatever. We progress that. We say, hey, here's some ideas. We have this podcast. We have this series. You know, we have X, Y, and Z available. And they say, okay, yeah, we might be interested in, you know, this YouTube series. So we say, okay, well, you know, we have a couple of different packages. It could be one video. It could be three. It could be six. You know, whatever that series may be, those packages change. And here's the, the, the uh cost per mill, which is CPM, which, um, you know, your listeners or yourself might be aware of. Basically, it's the, the price per thousand viewers or listeners. Um, and that changes. That depends on how many listeners you have. That depends on how many viewers you're getting, how big your channel is, et cetera. There's a ton of factors that go into it. And basically, you negotiate what that should be. And then you say, okay, and we sign on a dotted line, whatever that 
negotiation might be, and then uh, perform. So say, you know, we have, it's a month performance and we get 100,000 views. So 100,000 divided by 1,000 is 100 and 100 times whatever that CPM rate was. And generally we were sitting in that mid 20s, low 30s. Uh, we got up to the 40s sometimes. So, you know, let's say it's $25 per thousand views that we got paid. You know, that's a thousand, uh, 100,000. So we get 100,000 views divided by a thousand. That's 100, 100 times 25. That is what, 1250? Uh, yeah, no, 2,500. Yeah, yeah 2,500. 2, yeah, sorry, math. I'm an accounting <laughs> major, but uh, math, not my, mental math, not my forte. Um, but yeah, 2,500 bucks. So, you know, you have that, uh, plus you have your YouTube monetization. So depending on that, so on, on how well you're doing there. So, you know, at the end, I think we were at like 160,000 subscribers. So we were doing pretty well uh, in terms of what we were really getting, uh, in terms of YouTube monetization plus partnerships. Okay. So when it came up for, uh, when it was time to come up with those ideas for the content, was it generally you that was coming up with the ideas or do you guys actually have a team that came together for the content ideas? Yeah. So there's five of us, uh, total at the company. Um, and, uh, we all came up with ideas. It wasn't just one of us. Um, you know, we had our chief creative officer who was Taiki. He's the co-founder of the company. Uh, we had our director of photography, Scott, who's now with uh, Spectrum Sportsnet, and he works with the Dodgers and the Lakers mainly. So, you know, we and we had our social media manager. We had our producer, Will, who works with um, Pitching Ninja now. And, um, you know, we all had great ideas. Uh, it was really just about being able to execute them, especially with COVID, you know, threw that wrench into everything. But, um, a lot of ideas were thrown around, a lot were left on the floor, a lot were executed, a lot were flopped, a lot did well. Um, and that's probably the hardest part about being in that industry was every idea was so intensely personal um, that it was very difficult to, to, to feel when something failed. Um, but when something succeeded, it was, it was the best feeling in the world. Yeah. So while you were working at Watch Momentum, obviously you have to work alongside Paige Halstead, Rachel Luba, mm -hmm. uh, King of Juco. Um, so can you kind of take us through what a day, like the production process is for one of those videos you're doing with, let's say, King of Juco? Uh, what, did, what, what does it take to set something up like that? How long does it take to film? And just yeah. what, what, is overall, what does an overall day look like that when you're filming with one of those guys? Yeah, so, I mean, it, was, it, it depends, really. You know, if he was doing more of a vlog style, you know, we could – that was – he's just running around with a camera. Maybe we're taking some photos or whatever, and um, – you know, it could be edited in a few days <clears throat> or whatever. Um, so it really depended, or it was really dependent on what the output was. Um, but we did a lot of really cool stuff with everyone. Um, you know, with Eric specifically, you know, we would have, if we were maybe doing live at bats in the facility, in the office, you know, that was usually just one person, maybe two people setting all that up. Uh, a lot of times it was myself getting, you know, all the cameras set up, running uh, kind of operations, kind of logistics there, getting all that together. Um, but other times it was just, you know, it was a whole crew. So when we'd go out for larger shoots, uh, live at bats offsite, something like that, you know, it, it was a, it could be a four, five, six, seven person crew. Uh, so it, it really, you know, I, I wish I could give you a better and more descriptive answer, but that's kind of, it was very, very dependent, depending on what we needed, what we were trying to get out and, and all that. 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was I was just curious what like a what a day in life looks like that for that. I'm coming up with yeah. a few ideas with some of these top prospects in Indiana. I'm working with. We're doing some mm-hmm. uh, live AB stuff with some different partnerships with bat companies. So I was just curious what a day like that looked like. But uh, moving back to some of the numbers, um, when you were director of products, obviously that two hundred thousand dollars in merch sales we talked about earlier. Um, yeah. So what was your overall involvement in those merch sales? Were you coming up with the ideas or were you kind of just behind the logistics of it? Yeah. So um, I, I kind of took that as my, my baby, uh, my own little project. Um, you know, I, and I'm not saying I, I had, I was the only person with ideas. Um, I kind of spearheaded that each, each line we did um, not without the help of, of other people there too, but um, I kind of managed everything from, from ideation to execution, to shipping, to sales, to all of that. So, you know, we did, a, a, a it was a ton of work. Um, I sourced the printer. I sourced the product. Uh, I, I created uh, some of the designs, not all of the designs, but I ideated a lot of the ideas for them. Um, I was able to manage, you know, I was customer service for people who, you know, had issues with their order, wanted to return or whatever there, um, you know, I was helping shipping when we had to, uh, it's just a lot of different things, uh, managing purchasing, paying invoices. Uh, it was a one man show in terms of actually running that operation. So, you know, uh, while we had a lot of people there, I mean, it was a startup, so you wear a lot of different hats, but that really took up most of my time, but, you know, paid off. Yeah. So some of those merch launches that you guys had, such as and blackouts and blackouts is probably one of my favorites just because I'm a huge believer in that. Was that one of your ideas or was that somebody else's? So that was my idea. Um, you know, we all talked about ending blackouts a lot. Um, in terms of the designs, I also designed all of the, the content creation or the, um, not content creation, the, the merchandise designs there. So, um, it was something we were all really passionate about and we saw a lot of people who were passionate about it. Um, so, uh, all the merchandise is what I designed. I kind of set up all the standards there, set up all the operation there. Uh, but then we shot that commercial, which was really, really awesome. And um, that was kind of the, it was, you know, a, a great co-effort between myself, Taiki and Scott in terms of figuring out what we wanted to do and, you know, Will and, and, and Will as well. Um, so we, we had a great, it was a great time. We thought it did really well. And, you know, we we like to take a little bit of credit at least for advancing that conversation in the baseball world. Yeah. I mean, I know in other interviews that I've listened to of you, like I know that's one of your big topics that you talk about. Um, so I think that's actually how yeah. I came across your page. I think I came across Paige Halstead. She was wearing a shirt that said end blackouts, had you tagged mm-hmm. in it. There was something that involved you came across your page. And ever since then I've made sure to follow you because I'm trying to be an agent as well. I, I love what Rachel Luba is doing just in terms of, uh, bringing back individual player marketing. Um, but with that being said about indiv- individual player marketing, I kind of want to move into just overall marketing in baseball. Obviously, that's fallen behind other sports such as NFL, NBA. Um, so why do you think that reason is? And what was your guys' vision at Watch Momentum to change that uh, narrative? Yeah, um, you know, baseball, uh, you know, quite frankly, it, it, it had the, and I think the correct stereotype of being the old white guy sport. And it still fights against that probably every day. Um, but I think they're making a lot of big strides. And you, know, you saw in the NFL, you saw in the NBA, both of them really uh, embraced content creation, embraced player personalities, and, and move away from this very structured kind of neutered feeling of like, what's well, the team? And you don't, you don't, you don't break out of the team. You don't 
think for yourself type deal. Um, and you saw them break out of that, but baseball kind of stuck around. And I thought that baseball has made some awesome, incredible strides. And I, you know, for, for as much backlash that they're, you know, baseball is bad at marketing gets, um, you know, I think uh, I know a ton of the people there and they've done some really awesome work uh, by the LCC and the VCC content creation team by player marketing teams. And no doubt they have a ton of work to do and as do most sports at this point, but, you know, it is really encouraging to see what they did. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, now on, on the hockey side, I feel very much the same with hockey is hockey is where baseball was, you know, four years ago. And I think if they take the same steps that MLB took, um, you know, you can start to make that progress towards becoming a, a much more popular, younger sport. Um, but without kind of uh, ignoring or, or shooing away the older generation and the more traditional generation that are still fans and still pay money to go to games and merchandise for, for each of these sports. Yeah. Like you said, MLB has made some pretty good strides these past couple of years, especially marketing some of those younger guys, such as Tatis, Soto, Vladdy yep. Jr. But a lot of like a lot of the individual player marketing still kind of behind just a little bit. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. Trevor Bauer um, with Washington, he's done a great job. There's been some other minor leaguers doing some great jobs. But um, just overall for player branding, like when they're branding themselves, uh, what what advice would you give to some of these younger players when they're trying to brand themselves and market themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting time right now. Um, everybody feels like they should be able to brand themselves. Everybody feels like they are the next thing. Everybody feels like they need to make a niche. Um, and I think, you know, you don't have to force it. I think that's probably the biggest thing I would tell anyone is if you authentically want to build your brand and become a content creator, do whatever, build your charity, merchandise, training, it doesn't matter. You have to want to do it. You have to genuinely have that desire and want to do it. I think a lot of what we're seeing right now is a ton of these new age agencies just taking anybody and saying, we, we can build it. We can build your brand. And it's like, okay. It's great. Are you asking that player if they want to build their brand? Are you, are you asking them what they want to do? Are you asking if they even care to build their brand? That's the biggest thing I think the biggest misstep is marketing agencies can make is, you know, I, I had developed, you know, I say developed loosely um, with one of my old coworkers, Morgan Blank, and we talked about the marketability to does to commitment matrix. So there's a lot of players who are very marketable, but aren't committed to doing it. There's a lot of players who are very committed to doing it, but aren't marketable. And there's ways to, there's four quadrants in that matrix. And you basically can say high marketability, high commitment. You know, those are your, those are your golden stars. They're, they're, it's amazing to do. You have low commitment, high marketability is, you know, people like I would say like a Mike Trout, right? He very high marketability, but isn't super committed to doing that for whatever reason. That's okay. You know? but that's the truth and low commitment, low marketability, you have certain guys and, you know, high marketability, low, or, uh, high commitment, low marketability is, is, has its own challenges. So there's success paths from each one of those. Uh, they're just very different. And I think that if you treat them all the same, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of uh, issues trying to kind of have a one size fits all. So it's very, very dependent on each person, but, um, you know, I think that's kind of the main advice I would give to, to any player or, or young agent in the game. Yeah, I have to say I really like that matrix you guys came up with. Um, obviously, with NIL coming out this past year and me still being a college student, I kind of wanted to take advantage of that 
So I got registered yeah. in a few states, uh, made some connections on campus, and I was able to get some good, uh, like work with some good quality guys who have who are verified, good following, yeah. good playing time. But some of them just weren't committed, and, you, and that is a challenge to text them, don't don't get a response for a day or so, and they're just not really yeah. that committed. Um, I have to say that's that's a pretty good matrix you guys came up with. But um, with that being said, what do you think? What why do you think some players are hesitant to take it, to take advantage of the platform they're given through their sport? You know, it's there's I guess there's a lot of reasons. You know, I think the main one would be they don't want to uh, hurt their team. They don't want to put themselves out there in case you know they don't play well or they don't live up to the potential or whatever that may be. I think that's a huge thing. I think that's more of like a sport culture. So it depends really on the team, on the sport. You know, we see that, we saw that a lot in baseball. We see that a lot in hockey, same, same kind of deal is, Hey, you're part of the team. You don't, you know, you don't speak out. You don't make a fool of yourself. You don't make yourself one of the one outside of the team. So with all of that, um, I think that's a big part, but I also think, you know, there's a lot of people who, just might not care to do it, you know? Um, and, and I think that's also very valid. I think that's kind of goes back to what I was saying before is like, you don't force guys to do it. And I think a lot of them are feeling like, well, I have to do this. And it's like, well, you know, to build your post, your post career, your post sports career, you don't need to become a broadcaster. You don't need to become a multi-million dollar, you know, merchandise brand. You can own like 50 Papa John's if you want, you know, like there's different ways to do it. And I think being able to tailor that to each one is, is probably the key. So I saw, I saw in an interview uh, you did with David Brickley, maybe that was a little, little over a year ago, maybe almost a year ago. Yeah. Um, you guys did a branding workshop um, during that COVID period with 50 plus minor leaguers. So can you yeah. kind of tell us how that idea came about and what exactly was taught in those workshops? <clears throat> yeah. So what we did, um, our idea was we wanted to kind of bring all these guys up to speed. You know, not all of them had uh, in, in the ability or the opportunity, I guess, to talk about it in college or to talk about it with their team or their agents or, you know, whatever it may be. And we had a panel. Uh, it was Blake Lawrence from Open Doors, uh, Marissa Mast, who at the time was, I believe, VP of Digital at, at the Arizona Coyotes. Um, we had Vince, uh, I forget, I'm blank on his last name now, but he's uh, with uh, Meta Sports, their sports partnerships. And um, it was really, really cool to see um, them speak on it, but also how engaged uh, the minor league baseball community was. Uh, there are there's some major leaguers there too, but it was just a really cool thing. And we talked about what it means to build your brand. Why is it important? How do you go about it? What are those steps, you know, there, even from like, you know, what is, what is it like, literally, what does a, what is a brand? Um, and it was really interesting to see. And, you know, we got awesome feedback and there's a lot of guys there who ended up starting building their brand pretty shortly thereafter. Um, and, and they would talk to us and say, well, you know, really helped me kind of get a, get a handle on what all this is. Uh, it was really cool. And it was one of the, probably my proudest moments of working there was, was being able to put that on and, and have that whole thing go on. And, um, yeah, it was just it was just a really cool experience to to be able to give that back to all these guys. Yeah. So as these younger guys, these minor leaguers, now even these college athletes with NIL, what do you act, mm -hmm. what do you think the actual future of player branding is? How are players going to go about it? Uh, what do you think the future of player branding is? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think the easy answer is, is all these players have large social media followings and can kind of convert that into partnerships and, you know, all those things. But I think, you know, I think we're going to see that pendulum. It's going to swing very heavy to one side and it's going to even out. And we're going to see a lot of players who, you know, are, are cornerstones in their market or, you know, they're, they're finding different niches or hobbies. You know, I think one is like, um, like uh, Josh Hader, for example, he's a big fishing guy. And like we talked about, is there an opportunity for him to get really big into like the fishing world? Um, you know, finding that you don't always just have to make it about baseball, you know, not, not every baseball player needs to have a YouTube channel where it's day in the life of a baseball player. I worked out, I went to eat, I played the game, you know, all that you can do other things. And I think that's probably the biggest part, you know, look at like someone like Trevor May, who's huge on Twitch and, and streams all the time and, and games. Um, and that's, that's become a huge part. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster in, in the NFL is, is another person. You know, there's people who know him just from streaming and, or TikTok and not even football. And I think that's the ultimate goal. Uh, the ultimate goal is to be able to build something outside of your sport and, and to be able to be known for that and, and make, make money, you know, if that's your goal, or just be notab- notable in, in whatever that may be. Yeah. So when you were at Washington Medicine, were you able to make some uh, some of those types of content with some athletes, uh, just some of their off the field interests while you were at Washington Medicine? Yeah, we were able to do a little bit of it. Uh, probably not as much as we wanted to. Uh, I mean, for a couple of reasons, you know, COVID, we weren't able to see players and things like that. But, um, you know, we did a lot of day in the life and we got to see a lot of cool things. You know, Michael Lorenz and how how particular he is and how dedicated he is to his diet and his workout regimen or Nick Heath, how big of a personality he is or you know all these different guys that we were able to work with you were able to see who they are off the field and kind of had those ideas of okay now how can we add on to this how can we blow up their brand how can we how can we find their way to grow Uh, i think that was a really really cool part of the job yeah all right so you you ended your job at wash momentum in april 2021 i believe that's correct right uh i might have missed put it on linkedin i actually ended july Okay. All right. Yeah. So you ended in July. You ended in July 2021. Ended up working for the LA Kings. So how did that process go from Watch Momentum to the LA Kings, and how did you first get connected with the Kings? So, um, funny enough, I had uh, so after I left Momentum, I really just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in sports, if I wanted to go on my own. You know, I had a bunch of different people jumping out at me saying, you could do this, you could do this. And I didn't know. Um, and then uh, a, a network colleague that I had um, known for a little while, probably like a year or two at that point, uh, she had reached out to me and said, hey, she's just getting hired at the Kings and they're planning on hiring some more people if I was interested to, to apply. And I was like, yeah, sure, let me apply. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's my fit, but whatever. Um, so I did and ended up going through the interview process and really feeling like I, I hit it off with, you know, the, the four or five people I interviewed with and, you know, sure enough, get through it, got offered the job, accepted it. And, and now I got out here and uh, it's been, it's, it's been awesome. It's been everything I thought it would be and more. Um, and it's a really cool, it's a really cool organization to be a part of, especially as we're kind of in the middle of our rebuild on the ice um, and kind of being a part of this winning culture and being, being a part of, you know, this, this, um, what is it, a catapult back into uh, being good on the ice and being able to capitalize on it. It's just super exciting. 
Yeah. So working for with individual players that watch momentum, living in Ohio, Eastern Eastern time zone, moving all the way out yep. to LA for hockey, a completely different sport, <laughs> actually working for a team instead of individuals, and just even even that three hour time change. What was the what were those biggest challenges for you? And how did you how did you take um how did you go about that? Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, the it's not the job that was the challenge necessarily. It's it's the personal stuff uh, off the off the ice, off the field, out of work. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a big it's a big move. Um, you know, I obviously I had lived away from home for almost you know the better part of eight years while I was in Cleveland, and I traveled and I I had lived in Arizona for six months, and I had done a bunch of different things, but this is my first time I was really going like on my own, on my own. And uh, getting out here was a lot, um, you know, from the, you're so focused on the move. You're so focused on the logistics of getting out here, getting your U-Haul set up and driving. And then you get here and you're like, oh, okay, I'm here. This is my new life now. Um, and it doesn't come without its own challenges. You're homesick. You're feeling like, you did I make the right decision? Did I make, you know, should I go home or no or whatever? And it's, you know, all just very natural, very valid feelings. And you just kind of have to keep that perspective and, and lean on your support group to, to help you there and your support system. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been great. I love it out here and it's exciting to be, to be out here. I'm glad I made this decision. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure my, I'm sure I'll have, be homesick here and there and, that that's again just natural but at the end of the day it's i can fly home if i really want to yeah so overall you're the you're the social media manager for the la king so what exactly does that job entail yeah so you know social media manager means a lot of different things to a lot of different organizations you know, depending on the level of seniority to the job description to you know what you're actually doing it, it can mean a lot of different things and that's where um, I really enjoy how they structure it here. And this is a true manager level position where you're managing strategy and the day-to-day programming. Um, and, and I also, uh, we also have a social media coordinator and she's great where she handles a lot of that day-to-day posting and um, you know, a lot of those different things. It's really, really, she does a really great job at it. Um, and so I'm able to focus on kind of working with our global partnerships team and making sure that all of our partnership activations are running off and are working with our marketing team to make sure our marketing strategy is being executed in our creative and our production and all of them and really be that cross-functional, cross-departmental uh, liaison to make sure everything's getting out. And at the end of the day, you know, most things go through social. Uh, this, that's the new age of marketing. That's the new age of, of advertising. Um, so there's a lot at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm overseeing, I think, 17 individual channels between um, all of the King's ca- accounts, our foundation accounts, our, our team shop, um, our ice crew, and our mascot. So it's a lot. Um, it's a lot to keep, keep straight, but uh, it's, you know, I love the challenge. Yeah. So how does it change? How does your main priority change from when you were working with main, uh, when you were working with individuals now compared to the team? How does that priority change and what exactly do you think of before you, before you post or actually put something out there to the public? Yeah. So, you know, we have almost 3 million people in our, in our audience across all of our channels. Um, so that's just terrifying in general. Uh, that there's 3 million people who whatever you post are going to, could potentially see that. Um, <clears throat> it's a lot, you know, and you're also speaking for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's kind of a scary, but exciting, exhilarating thought to think, if we post something on this channel, um, people are going to take it as official, right? It's the king saying it. 
So we have to be careful. You have to be careful of how you present players. You have to be careful how you present um, coaches and, you know, travel and, uh, you know, other when you're when you're making digs or, or jokes about other teams or players and all that stuff. It's it's a lot to uh, to manage, but it's part of the job. It's part of why you know you get hired because they think you might be good at it. And I, I think I am. I think I'm pretty good at what I do. And it's it's a whole different set rather than you're just you know representing one player and it might be a post you're now representing you know all the current players the past players the, the organization as a whole the people who work here the front office the fans uh, it's it's a lot of responsibility to shoulder but to me you know you got to have a little bit of adrenaline uh to keep you going yeah so just take me through the process i have a one simple question. So are you in charge yeah. of the actual post that the Kings post, or are you kind of overseeing while someone else is posting on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera? Um, so it's a mix. Um, you know, Job description wise, I'm overseeing them. Um, I'm able to see like, you know, I kind of run the schedule and I make sure kind of get quote unquote final approval uh, for any of those posts. But I um, mean, you know, our coordinator, she, she handles a lot of the day-to-day posting. I'll do, you know, a handful, probably be like 30, 40% of it. Um, but she's, she's the one who's doing main, mainly the day-to-day posting. Okay. All right. I kind of want to move into your time at Baldwin Wallace. So you said you did your undergrad sure. there, did your MBA there. And now as of a couple of years ago, you became a professor there. So yes. when exactly did you start becoming a professor? How did that come about? And what exactly do you teach? So interesting. Interestingly enough, uh, if I go back to my time, I was actually a student at BW. Um, like I said, I taught myself pretty much everything, uh, the creative, all of that. And it was a uh, uh, it was a lot, but I made us, uh, you know, with the, with the fear of sounding a little conceited or kind of patting myself on the back, I made a pretty big impact on what we did. Uh, and I'm forced, uh, not forced, but I, I, I sparked a lot of interest in each team having uh, some creative with them to create content and, and bolster their social media uh, presence. So um, I did that. And after I left and I graduated, you know, I think almost every single team had someone who was creating content for their specific team. And uh, at that point, you know, uh, I had the uh, chair of the sport management department, um, uh, Dr. Charles Campisi, incredible human, incredible guy, mentor, just he's awesome. And uh, he had reached out to me and he was like, hey, uh, do you by chance want to teach a class? And I was like, I've never taught anything. I was like, I don't know. Uh, let me, let's talk about it. So we did and basically said, Hey, why don't you just teach what you taught yourself here and give these students the opportunity to have a little bit more of a structure so they don't have to pull it all on themselves. So I did. And I structured my class. It's called sport technology. It's in the sport management program. It's generally a freshman, sophomore class, although it's open to pretty much anyone. And it's a required part of the sport management program now where you know, we teach or I teach the the very basics of Photoshop uh, for graphic design, the very basics of Adobe Premiere Pro, uh, which is video editing, and then uh, the basics of social media management. So students are able to get their first taste into creating content in this new age of digital marketing for um, specifically in sports. And, you know, it's been really cool to see a lot of my students able to get jobs or internships or, you know, whatever, right after that class, because they had that opportunity to take it. 
Yeah, man, Baldwin Wallace needs to create a partnership with Indiana University, man. I'd like, I'd love to take four <laughs> of those classes and uh, have that, have that on my resume. But too bad, too bad we don't have that here at Indiana. Hey, if they if they need someone to teach, let me know. Okay, I'll I'll see I'll see if I can I work my magic and see if I can get you see if I can get you teaching here. All right, I'll hold you to it. All right. Um, um, so when you were creating those courses for those students, uh, how did you go about creating the courses, and how long was did the process take? It did. It was, it was a lot. Um, it, you know, I created the entire course from scratch. The entire syllabus. You know. You know, when, you t- when you're in college courses, right, you get the syllabus and it says the book and you're like, you just kind of take it for granted. You're like, okay, that's the book I have to get. Well, there's no like how to teach a class 101. Uh, so you don't like, I literally just would Google things. I'd be like, what kind of textbook do I need? Um, and it was just, uh, it's just hilarious to think about it's just I'm just laughing at myself because how long it took to to make the syllabus. I had to figure out what I wanted to teach first of all. I had to figure out how I was going to teach it, how I was going to condense all of this information into 16 weeks, how I was going to test that information, how I was going to, you know, do all of that stuff. Um, and it took me probably a month or so to like actually get it all through and, and written down and and structured but then you know after the fact it's you start to get that once you start teaching it you kind of get into your flow you know what's working what's not and I'm, I'm i'm fixing it every time but it's not um you know it's not it's not diverting too far from the original plan it's just making sure i'm continuing to improve the class each time okay so are these when you're teaching these classes you're probably you're virtual right so we were actually uh, in person uh, pretty much the entire time. Uh, I was only virtual because I was living in Scottsdale. So that, uh, that spring semester, um, I, I taught virtually. Um, what was it, 20, spring 2021? And then I taught in person both falls. I'll okay, teach, so how- uh, this fall I'll teach um, virtually though, because I'll be out here. Okay, I was going to say, I was, like, I, was, I was wondering how that worked considering that you're working for – working in Los Angeles. I wasn't sure how exactly that worked, but uh, what is your main priority as a professor when you're teaching those young sports business, sports creative professionals? Sorry, I, you cut out. What was the, what was the question? Oh, so uh, what I, my, these are one of my last questions. We're ended up near the end of the podcast, but sure. uh, what is your, just your main priority as a professor when you're teaching these young aspiring sports business, yeah. sports creative professionals? My main priority is just showing them that there's other stuff out there in sports. Um, I think a lot of sport management programs across the country from people I've talked to and and everything, you know, it's very like, well, you know, you can go to sales, you can do ticket sales, guest sales, maybe move into marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to show there's other, other parts of sports that you can do that. And I just wanted to show them my own little world and say, Hey, you don't need to know this necessarily, but it helps. And if you do like it, you know, there's a whole world that you can open up to and become a, a creative or a market in marketing and sports. So um, that was my biggest thing was just trying to show an alternate, an alternative to working in sports and how big this is. And also that you didn't have to work for a team. You can work for an agency. You can work for a company that has sports partnerships. You can work for charities or courses or, or venues. I mean, there's a million different ways to go about it. And um, that's really what I wanted to show them was there are other options out there. And, um, you know, 
you can you can take it kind of into your own hands and and above all else even if you hate graphic design or whatever or video editing or social media to be able to have that in your repertoire is a huge huge value add all right well Alec, i've got one last question for you before we end off the podcast this one i feel like it's gonna be pretty simple for you well pretty easy for you but for professionals what advice would you have for these college kids or just these younger people trying to break into the industry you know i get asked that a good amount and i feel like i never have a good answer but and my you just you just got to be passionate about it there's going to be things you don't like there's going to be things that are tough and, and long days and all that stuff but i will tell you this there's nothing not not a better feeling every single time than seeing your work pay off and seeing something that you planned or put together or whatever all come together and, and be and, and to be executed so i would say you know it's worth it it's worth the long days and everything to be able to work but you know on top of that, you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And I am way better at telling people to do that than I am doing it, as I'm sure we all can relate to that. But, you know, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of your mental health. And it's not a joke. Burnout is real. And it can really, really just hurt your physical health. It can hurt your mental health, but it can hurt your job performance too. So I would say two things is make sure you're taking care of yourself. But you know, don't be afraid to put some passion into it. Don't be afraid to go that extra mile. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, I think people in sports take themselves way too seriously. Um, I, I'm sure I do the same thing, but you know, it's, we're working in sports. If you don't have that perspective, you know, you're having fun. If you don't put a tweet out on time, it's not that big a deal. It's just a hockey team. You know, it's just a hockey game. It's, it's the world is not ending because of it. So, you know, it's not to, to, denigrate anybody's job or anything like that or devalue any of it it's it's you have to keep that perspective or to be honest you'll drive yourself completely crazy and it's just you got to take care of yourself yeah well alec i'm out of questions for you i'm i'm like i said i'm really excited to get i was excited to get you on the podcast you answered all these questions phenomenally i learned a lot from you i just want to thank you for coming on the podcast I really appreciate it, man. I, it was really fun. I love, this is the type of stuff I love to do. I love to give back. I love to, to kind of give my little piece and take it for what it's worth. And, you know, if anybody ever wants to reach out, just chat, whatever, uh, you know, feel free to, to jump in my DMs. I'm at Alec Palmer on Instagram and at Alec Palmer uh, underscore underscore on Twitter. So, you know, Jason, you, know, you kind of did the same thing. So that's how we got connected. So, you know, anybody wants to chat about life, wants to, you know, wants to talk about jobs or, Anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd like to thank Alec for coming on the show today. Really special guest. I really loved having him on. Definitely learned a lot from him. Um, I loved what he did in baseball as he worked for Watch Momentum. Even though I'm not a hockey fan, I really hope he's able to do the same um, as he works for Los Angeles Kings as a social media manager. As he said, the NHL is about four or five years behind Major League Baseball. So hopefully he's, a, hopefully he's able to put the NHL on the right track. Um, this week is actually the first week of two for solo episodes before we start going really hard. Uh, we're going to have for these next uh, three or four weeks after next week, we're going to be having three or four guests on at a time. Uh, we've got a series of three former Hoosiers now playing minor league baseball coming on. 
um, here in a couple weeks. And then after that, we're going to have two straight weeks of nothing but Texas baseball content. Um, Texas went there a couple weeks ago. I love the state. I uh, wanted to connect with some baseball players, so I've been able to do that. Uh, so we're going to have two straight weeks of three or four guys from Texas on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, if you guys want to keep up with all the upcoming guests on the podcast and what's going on, make sure to check out our website, www.jkrpodcast.com, or give us a follow on social media at jkr underscore podcast. But with that being said, time to end off this episode, and I'm going to catch you guys next week.